The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I am Molly Balin. And I am Eric Deutsch. And we welcome back, for the last time this week, John and Niall of Bat Minute 89. Hey! Oh, you'll be glad to be rid of us, I'm sure. Oh, for <laughs> God's sake, never. Don't you worry, we'll be right back for Escape from L.A. Uh, minute. Would you, <laughs> <laughs> would you, would you get up for that? Niall, if you ever decide to take that on... I, I'm sure we would totally guest on that if you ever like you felt the the swerve to do that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should now, out of spite. <laughs> well, that's, a good, that's a good thing, Molly. Any if anyone wants to do Escape from L.A. and actually does do it, as long as you're willing to deal with the fact that I'm going to rip it apart. Yes, Molly and I would be happy to be guests for one week. Sure. Uh, <laughs> see, I would really want to get, and I would really be gunning to try to get. Uh, Ryan Johnson on it because I was just like he's denied it but it's like you know the end of the Last Jedi that's the end from Escape from L.A. right <laughs> oh, it's the same is it the you know, the whole thing is like oh yeah the oh, uh, Pliskin crashes and then all the bad guys come out and they all shoot him but he's not dead and it turns <laughs> out it was a hologram the whole time it's like I think people brought it up to him he's like no I've never seen Escape from L.A. it's like didn't you though didn't you Ryan Johnson <laughs> how dare you. Uh, so no, uh, that's not me coming out with any Last Jedi I hate, but at this time in the cinema, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I've seen this before. Well, that's the thing, though, a lot of the tropes in, in this, like, do you guys, do you know, um, is the plot line of this of like, oh, Snake Plissken's been injected with something that's going to kill him in a certain amount of time, and he needs to do this before the thing goes off. Is, that, is this like the first time that plot line has been done, or is it like based on like previous movies or like from like, like an old pulp thing that John Carpenter read or something or that is a great question. Um, so it's kind of like it's a standard trope now, but it's like the furthest back. I can, like every time it happens or something like suicide squad, that's the whole pitch of suicide squad is like, right. Yeah. They got these things injected in them. You need to do this. Otherwise you're screwed. But like you instantly go, Oh yeah. Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. But it could have been like, slightly... Oh, no, it's just saying like it could have been that like oh John when John Carpenter was doing it. It was like oh no, this is based on like like an old sixties spy movie I saw or something like that. Well, it's slightly different, but they do a similar thing in um, one of my favorite movies ever, Battle Royale, because mm. they you know they're they're forced into fighting each other by not an well, there's there's an explosive on their neck essentially a bit like what's implanted in in Snake here. They've yeah. got a collar on that blows their neck open if they uh, don't fight and don't stick to the rules. So it's kind of a similar thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about like they're really simplifying it though, because you forget that in this like there's, it's a bit more complicated. It's like it's a thing that's going to open the veins or something in his neck or something like that. And it's yeah, like oh, arteries, yeah, yeah, it would explode yeah. his arteries. Yeah. But whereas the battle royale is like simplify that blows a friggin' hole in their neck. There you go, it's done. <laughs> It's a wonderful film. Watch it, everyone. That's that's post, not post-apocalyptic, but a sort of dystopian future as well. Mm. I will also say uh, it was also influenced uh, in the nineties 
during the infamous uh, Jim Ballant run of the Catwoman comics. Okay. Uh, there was a, a storyline called The Cat File, where Selena basically had to do like an escape from New York thing, where she had a thing implanted in her arm that would kill her if she didn't do this. And then <sighs> the government made her fly into a friggin' island to go do a thing and stuff. But uh, hmm. and because it's Catwoman and she's awesome, she like just takes the thing out of her arm with her own claws and stuff. Um, but it's just appropriate to bring that up because that's Catwoman in the 90s who in the 90s cartoon show was voiced by Adrian Barbeau, who's in this movie. So, what? Uh, everything's connected. Yeah. And now my head exploded just like it does in uh, <laughs> the movie you were referencing. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, one other, weirdly, one other thing I've just thought of, tying back to Batman, tying back to the last minute of this, where I brought up uh, Batman Arkham City, the video game, that's the plot of the video game. Batman's been poisoned, and he has to work against the clock. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Oh, yeah. okay. So that's a straight rip job, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the whole game is, by the sound of it, we've uncovered something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get the evidence that, the, like, that this had the amount of side quests that the Arkham <laughs> games has. Where you're oh, like, my you God. You don't have time. That You've literally got minutes to live. What are you going off to fight the Mad Hatter for? You're crazy. <laughs> It's a very Batman thing to do, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I think within the game, you're like, I guess Batman would. He would be like, I need to go stop this guy first. And like, God damn it, dude, go find your cure. <laughs> <laughs> Not great with time management. Well, let's uh, let's get into this minute. Uh, this is uh, continuing the great contemplative garbage walk of 1997. <laughs> and... Uh, Ends up back at the crash site to have a, a masculine moment of contemplation of what the fuck I'm going to do now. And ends with some dodginess and knocking on a manhole. <laughs> it did strike me, um, again, re- directly tying into friggin' Batman as well. But uh, the, the fact, like, so I remember reading once that apparently the studio wanted Tommy Lee Jones for Snake Plissken. Like, yes, that was did. And just like the fact now that he has to basically go on a manhunt for the president, like I was really expecting, like in that reality, you'd be like, this minute would have Snake Plissken going like, all right, I need to go a nationwide search every farmhouse, headhouse, outhouse, doghouse. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> U.S. Marshals for the win. <laughs> like shots of like Donald Pleasant's been like running through the woods and stuff nearby. <laughs> I don't think that man can run anymore. (laughs) Oh, and Snake's got one eye. That had the one-armed man. (gasps) There you go. go. Yeah. We know what's going on. We've uncovered lots of things. I have to say as well, though, like, I'm fairly certain he was in consideration back in the 80s. And you could still do it now if you did an older Batman, but Kurt Russell would have been a great Batman. Oh, sure. He's got everything. He's got everything going for him. He's got the, the the Playboy good looks of Bruce Wayne. He's got the grizzled Dark Avenger thing going in this. Mm-hmm. Like the, it's literally like they hand them on a platter to you. It's like you want a Batman in the eighties. Here's this guy. It's like no, we're going for Mister Mom instead. We think he's gonna he's gonna <laughs> well, knock it out of the park this time. And Kurt Russell can sell scenes where he's not even really speaking. Like because he most of this minute and you know the end of the last minute is just him walking. <laughs> Walking in silence, and it's great. Half the movie could be this, and I wouldn't mind. Well, actually, mm. this is... I've been keeping track. This is our fourth self-contained movies by Minute Minute with absolutely no dialogue whatsoever. There you mm. go. <laughs> and it, it doesn't feel like you're getting gypped. <laughs> like, it's great. Not at all. 
I did actually say just before recording because um, we had people over earlier in the day. And one of them was my friend Steve, who actually dressed up as Snake Plissken a couple of Halloweens back. The day after we saw jo- me and him went to see John Carpenter. Yeah. Oh. Because uh, he had no costume. And then he saw he went to see him in, co- like, in concert. The next day he just showed up with an eye patch and he had the cobra <laughs> like drawn on his stomach and stuff. But uh, I remember saying to him, like, oh, I'm going to record Escape from New York Minute. And he's like, ooh. God, it's gonna be a lot of a lot of quiet minutes in that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you oh got one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, well, so you know, he 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 walks around. He says, you know, he he gets in the chair, and this is such a great scene because he's sitting in the chair. He's clearly thinking about, you know, what the hell am I gonna do next? You know, it, it's Hauk has screwed him over again. It's a very relatable moment. You know, he 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 touches the spot on his neck just to remind us he's thinking about that thing in his neck. And he's, you know, he's an everyman. He's a hero to us, the viewer, because we would be doing the same thing he's doing right now. I'm fucked. What do I do now? I got to sit here. I got to think for a minute. And Kurt Russell had a, had a quote about Snake that I think really fits that, that even though he's got all of these negative qualities, he's got this individuality about him that makes him acceptable to the audience in a heroic way. And I think yeah. it's because right now, He's doing exactly what we all would do when we would walk. We come to the pod. There's nothing in the pod. There's no clues. You know what? I'm going to sit. I'm going to have a smoke. And I'm just going to clear my head for a minute and say, you know, all right, what the fuck do I do? What 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 have I gotten myself into? Or, you know, where do I go next? Because Hauk is not helping me. And I got, you know, 18 hours left or whatever until this thing explodes. Yeah. And I really connect with the way he, uh, I don't want to say panics. But uh, if I panic, it's, it, it tends to be internal like this. I'll look calm on the outside like I'm just sitting and I won't be smoking, uh, having a drink or something. But inside, I'm actually losing it. <laughs> so mm. He's probably doing, maybe not to the same degree, but he is probably inside thinking, yeah, what, what the hell am I going to do? Really coming across as like a, a, a schizophrenic character to the, the listeners, John. <laughs> like two minutes ago, you're talking about like throwing a stapler around your office. And, stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, no, well, I don't, I don't overreact when i <laughs> when <I'm back. laughs> no, generally that's at work work's a separate thing work, work is evil <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine though people sitting like a, a stapler going flying past them and looking over in your direction and you're just sitting completely calmly staring at them that's <laughs> basically like, oh how God. it happens yeah <laughs> <laughs> i probably am schizophrenic and proud oh, no. <laughs> but you're so nice <laughs> i wouldn't go that nice far. ones molly <laughs> Yeah, my medication. Uh, it's not doing its job. Oh. <laughs> I, I really do love the chair, though. The snake, like the fact that he's just found this little crappy <laughs> chair. It's not even like he goes to like a nice, like, like a potentially waterlogged sofa or something to sit down. But it's like a little, it's like a like a school chair or something, like a little rickety wooden thing. It's like, yeah, I guess it'll do for this situation. But it's far too small for a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's one of those like kids like elementary school a little bit shrunken yeah, table yeah. chair situations but the table's like busted off for some reason and you can tell too it's post-apocalypse badass moment for snake because like if it was me i'd be like Ugh, like trying to clean <laughs> off the chair and stuff <laughs> brush it down and try to find like a rag to, <laughs> to wipe it or something <laughs> he's like no i'm sitting there i don't care if it's wet i'll go around with a wet ass the rest of the night i don't, I don't give a shit <laughs> I'm especially fond of the escape pod, which, again, you've probably mentioned, but it's ridiculous. It looks like something, again, out of Austin Powers. Like, it's that, the one Dr. Evil gets into. <laughs> like, why is the president in this egg? <laughs> or was he? 
It's like a Kinder yeah, egg. Yeah, right, of course. Obviously, we, we did extensive pod discussion, but uh, it's back on the screen, so that does give entree for you to expound on your thoughts on the pod. It, it's bizarre. It's weird. It, to me, it looks like a Kinder Egg, which uh, I believe are illegal in America. Have you, have you seen them? Uh, yeah. What's a Kinder Egg? It, it's, uh. a, it's a... Are they illegal? It's, it's a, basically like a candy egg, but inside is a toy. So it's like, you know, where the kid gets to eat the candy and then also gets a little toy out of it. But the problem is that little kids will just bite into it and then the toy goes down their throat, you know. So And we don't care about that over here. It's in a little it's in a little pod thing that's too big to go down your throat. So I yeah, thought that was how you get around that problem. America, despite uh in some ways being very uh, I don't want to say lax, very free in, uh, in How are you going to get around insulting this entire nation here, John? No, it's, it's not <laughs> an insult. It's a, it's a difference. You know, they're very free and uh, open with certain laws. Then in other ways are very much the opposite. Like with this, it's very bizarre that you would... It's a place that's like perfectly fine with people kind of doing what they want in, in some ways. It's like, oh, yeah, but you can't eat a Kinder Egg. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 I'm, I'm looking this up as we're chatting, and right, they are illegal, and they have the the way that the U.S. has decided to deal with that is they do sell the Kinder eggs, but without the toy inside. Which but that's the fun. Is the whole purpose of Kinder egg, of course. Yeah, you want to get a little toy of the president of the United States, clearly. <laughs> I think I get the, the actual name is the Kinder Surprise, which is like the surprise yes. is the toy you get inside. Oh, it's it is. like surprise is like, hey, there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Nobody calls them Kinder Surprise, though, here. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's Kinder Egg to us, too. Oh. Yeah. In America, there'd be Kinder Disappointments, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's like the worst, the worst thing to get on Halloween. It's like, oh god damn it, I got one of these. Yeah, here, so in always... case safety concerns, it says in 2003, families uh, lost children to choking on the toys. They asked for the entire European Union to remove them, what? and uh, the, the defenders called them unfortunate fatalities. <laughs> right, I, I've had a hundred thousand of these things. You, you, you can't eat them. You can't choke on the toy. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was like. You have to be actively trying, unless you were literally shoving the entire egg down your throat in one well, fell swoop. There's no your, way you could check in those The Department things. of Trade and Industry said the child's tragic death was caused by the ingestion of a small part of the egg's contents. Many other products and toys with small parts are available in the marketplace. If we were to start banning every product that could be swallowed by a child, there would be very few toys left in the market. That's true. Although we did used to, when I was a kid here, this has gone off the rails. We did used to get in cereal, in the bottom of the cereal, there'd be a toy. Oh, yeah. We had that when I was a kid, too. Yeah. And now you can't get it. And I I think, if I remember rightly, it's it's for a similar reason. It's like the the jagged metal (laughs) crusty-o situation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's an old Saturday Night Live skit. Uh, with Dan Aykroyd, and he's this nefarious toy maker. And all the toys he brings up, I remember one of them was just like a bag of glass. It's just a bag <laughs> of broken glass. Mm. But all the toys are fucked up. So they're just kind of, <laughs> not that Kinder Egg is, is trying to do that by any stretch, but, you know. Well, they will be now to get revenge on me. <laughs> I'm just really feeling for the Kinder Egg people because it's like the thing's so big. How the hell are people choking on it? I know, and they're so popular, like in Europe. <laughs> yeah, Kinder Surprise people, don't sue us. We're on your side. We might be goofing around, but don't sue us. 
<laughs> not, uh, we're not we're not being slanderous here. No, no, we're, me and Niall, especially we're supportive. Come on, get these damn things in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can think about this movie because that, this bloody escape pod egg thing. What the hell? Yeah, it's so needlessly ostentatious as well. Like, <laughs> surely would you? Oh, that's the thing. Here's the question: Would you want it to be inconspicuous? Because like, oh, the, there'll be crash land somewhere. You want you don't want people seeing it straight away because p- people will come for it as they do. Yeah, you want I would want it to be like, inconspicuous, right? Because the people who oh, would come and rescue the president, as we have established, they have tracking equipment for the president, so they don't need to know this is the president's pod. They they already know. Mm. They don't need the visual or, confirmation. Yeah, unless they're just thinking, like, oh, this would be doubly safe. We should have it be really bright and like stand out a mile away so we can see where he is. But no, it doesn't make any sense. So it's like they they, they were asking for it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and slapping the presidential seal on it. So just in case maybe it landed next to another bright orange escape pod, you would know yeah. which one the president's in. <laughs> I gotta agree with Eric. My only misgiving, because I do understand the logic behind making a, a brightly colored escape pod, because you really don't know where that thing's going to eject out. And if you do happen to be in rough terrain and, you know, separate from... Because this is redundancies, right, for safety. So if you happen to just have equipment fail, you know, you've got something, a visual identifier that you can go, you know, figure it out. The presidential seal, though, I do find to be a little bit pro- problematic, and I find a lot of the... I don't know, labeling in this whole movie problematic, but I think if you were in a hostile territory, you may not also want to additionally identify that this is a presidential pod. Just <laughs> yeah. saying. You know, maybe <laughs> maybe if no one knows what's going on, they come across it, they're going to be curious, but, you know, maybe it will tamp down a little bit of additional nefarious curiosity to not identify that this is leverage, basically, in, a, in a, an egg form. So... <laughs> in egg form. egg based <laughs> leverage. <yes. laughs> so this, uh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna. Oh, you you go ahead. Well, I was just say you know uh, something we we haven't gotten too deep into, and since there's not much going on in this minute, I think this is a good chance to do it. Is all of the that you know most of this movie takes place at night. Get some behind the scenes info here from John Carpenter talking about the fact that they had to basically film, you know, the entire movie at night. He said, we'd finish shooting at about 6 a.m. I'd just be going to sleep at 7 when the sun would be coming up. I'd wake up around 5 or 6 p.m., depending on whether or not we had dailies. By the time I got going, the sun would be setting. For about two and a half months, I never saw any daylight, and it was very, very strange. And so, you know, you, you, you think about these movies when you watch them, and then they go for the atmosphere and, you know, the darkness and the nighttime, and Obviously, you don't think about the cast and crew spending two, three months of their lives sleeping during the day and being up all night, basically being third shifters for a few months. And it's, you know, it's got to be tough to be able to put on a good performance when you're physically and mentally not doing it at a time that you're really Mm -hmm. supposed to be doing it, you know. And so I think it's a really good testament to the way this movie came out that all of the cast and crew were basically up all night and sleeping all day and still were able to put to get this movie together. And so yeah. it's just, it was a, it did, this is a good minute to show that because, uh, you know, he's just, he was probably happy to have this minute, frankly, to shoot. Cause like, Oh, I can sit down during the, today's shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Always the best days. <laughs> I suppose you probably get like, um, because you now get a lot of people who have like seasonal perspective. 
right. disorders and, and stuff like that. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, they kind of need, um, you know, the, the, the sunlights, like the, 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 the artificial sunlight and stuff like that. I imagine people have probably, like, maybe back then they wouldn't have thought of that, but you could have gone through, like, like really depressive periods and stuff because you're just like, yeah, just not seeing the sun. This is like, it's just, a, it really takes a toll on you after a while. Mm-hmm. Although I think that the, the worst that kind of, so didn't they shoot like a razor head, like over like six years and it was all shot at night. Nope. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I imagine that's, that's gonna be like, filming a, a movie. That's that like, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of horrid. Like it's not like a fun movie to, I guess maybe they had a great time while they were making it. I don't know, but like go out every every at night all the time over years, like to to. Sh- well, I don't think they did it like every night over <laughs> over six years, but like like no. for, for long periods of time, just to be like, yeah, we're making this really like horrible movie <laughs> that's got like just everything's dark and everything's depressing the whole time, and it's just like then Jack Nance had to have that haircut for so many years as well. <laughs> He's just like, oh man. People look at me funny when I walk down the street with this thing, and this is like, yeah, they really uh, take a toll on you. Like these um, doing that kind of thing. Like I do know people as well who have done night shoots, or not night shoots, but night shifts and stuff. Mm. And they're just like, yeah, this is really horrifically depressing because there's just nobody about, and you're just you're just sort of uh, you just never really get seeing the world anymore because you're just like in this perpetual twilight situation. I couldn't cope, and I don't even particularly like the sun. I'm I'm a (laughs) vampire, even so. I don't know. I think I could do okay. I think I'm a night owl by nature. And then, I mean, I could do it for a certain, I wouldn't be able to do it for like six years, but mm-hmm. I think I could do it, you know, if we had like a three month, you know, shoot and it was just night for three months. And I think some of that also, and I don't know how, if it's the same for, for you guys, John and Niall at your, you know, parallel, but being here in the Pacific Northwest, like it's pretty much like no sun for three months. Oh like people God. are taking like sucking down vitamin D here. It's a whole thing. It's it's oh. it's a to do. So um, just because it's so gray, yeah, and coupled with winter and whatnot. So I, mean, I feel it's, like it's I've, bad here, but not that bad. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. No, it's it's bad. Like we're we're definitely in a in a pocket that's that's tough for that, you know. And it rains a lot here in in general. But mm. yeah, I feel like I'm you know one of those people who can go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning and can, you know, get up at like 10 AM and I'm like, you know, I'm good. So I feel like I could shift my schedule and deal with that. Um, which is why I don't live in California anymore. Um, <laughs> so I don't, don't need the suns, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I could probably roll with this, but I also understand when, if you're not that way and you're a morning person and you completely change up your circadian rhythms, like that will fuck up your wellness right quick. So I yeah. can only wonder if maybe like your guys are talking about that level of crazy has <laughs> translated into filmatic gold here. And that, that just helps people be a little bit more frayed, a little bit more on the edge you know, a little yeah. looser with their behavior makes it a little easier. And maybe some of that energy is translating out to this too. Well, I do know when they started making the movie that um, George Buck flower was actually playing the president, but by the time <laughs> they got to filming his scene, they've been filming at night for so long. That was the best take they could get of him. <laughs> and then they had to cast Donald Pleasance after like, Oh no, I have to reshoot all those president scenes. <laughs> But uh, in the background here as well, I do enjoy like the, you know, we get Snake and his kind of like, you know, from the mightiest king to the lowliest peasant, everyone enjoys a good sit. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we do get in the background like a, like a 
a dainty scurry. Of a the... dainty scurry. <laughs> <laughs> There's the name of this episode. <laughs> yeah. I was really, this actually bugged me because at the time I was like, when you see the guy, I was like, oh, that's the guy from the Hills Have Eyes. But it's not, apparently. Like it's unless I was double checking. I was like, no, they got Michael Berryman from the Hills Have Eyes. He is not in Escape from New York. No, I was he like, you sure? That really, really looks like him. But maybe it's just me. No. <laughs> yeah, I, it looks like him. He's he's bald and slightly strange looking. Um, <laughs> he's, he's not <laughs> strange similar. looking enough. Michael Berryman's even more odd looking than him. Yeah, he made a good career out of it. Yeah. And once again, though, just like we had in the World Trade Center a couple of weeks ago, Snake completely unaware that there's someone running around behind him until he hears the banging on the manhole covers. So, you know, once again, Snake lucky that this guy didn't decide to sneak up behind him and take him out because he would have never known it was coming. Yeah, that's actually tying into when Molly was almost for the season of of Batman. It was like she had the bit of um, the penguin getting the drop on Batman Mm -hmm. when he's just like, you know, he's looking for Catwoman's corpse, I guess, basically, underneath all the, the wreckage. And, like, yeah, the, the penguin's shuffling up right behind him, like, <gasps> like <laughs> really, really announcing his presence. But Batman doesn't freaking realize that there's a guy right behind him. Oh, maybe, he's this guy. He is knows. doing a dainty scurry. So, like, you, you know, he's, he's at least, you know, been quiet about it. Plus, this guy's just checking the manhole cover. You know, he's, he's tapping on it. He wants to see... Where the turtles are. He's trying to give them a pizza. <laughs> He's a delivery boy. It's like, yeah, nearby, it's just like, you just hear, like, pizza dude's got 30 seconds. <laughs> like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> it's a crossover, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. The pizza had to be delivered within a certain period of time. We don't have that anymore. No, we uh, don't either. Yeah, we don't either. I think what happened was a couple of. Uh, a couple of drivers were maybe a little too overzealous to try to make sure they met the <laughs> deadline and I think caused some crashes and oh, sort of, I think it's kind of went away after that. Mm. Oh, it always had a, a habit of turning up like one minute before the deadline. For <laughs> God damn it. This is like uh, they had to put so many regulations on food now because people are idiots. <laughs> yeah. like, yes. Now, in yesterday's minute, I, I threw a couple of your movie series bad guys in the prison. Now, I want to see uh, if your movie's version, your movie series version of Batgirl was the one that had to have a mission in here. How do you think she'd handle being in uh, this Manhattan prison? What, oh the, the Alicia Silverstone yes, Batgirl? Yes, the Alicia Silverstone Batgirl. <laughs> oh, there's not much to her, to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> she's, she's barely a feature in the movie we're about to cover. No? I mean, that would be excited if it meant that she would be in constant contact with her uncle alfred as they make it in that movie just so we could get michael goss alfred to be just shoehorned in to escape from new york somehow <laughs> he should be in everything but mm-hmm. um i i don't think that version of the character would fare well in this world <laughs> maybe maybe a different version of her but not not that one I mean, the the, the the outfit's flamboyant enough that she might blend in quite well. For the like, oh, yeah, she just looks like a, look any of these nuts that are running around the, the city. So she she might actually like, oh yeah, I can just pass through without anyone really realizing that I'm here. But well, um, I'm not picking holes in in this movie because, of course, I, I love it. I've mentioned, um, but you could actually take it a different way and make it even more flamboyant. Uh, so it kind of visually is a kind of city based version of Mad Max. So you you could have people dressed absolutely insane, like yeah. they're still m- relatively normal, right? 
But I want people like Lord Humongous from Mad Max 2. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, speaking of uh, fashion here, uh, the dainty scurrier is wearing a lot of animal pelts and then those kind of raver for calf covers as well, <laughs> but in kind of a natural. An- so I don't know if there were French Canadian trappers in Manhattan at this time, but I don't really understand course, the yes. animal pelts. We all know that's exactly where they were all based in this era. <laughs> it's like he's just checking his, uh, he's actually left like a couple of traps there. He's like, I'm just want to see if I've caught like a lynx or something. Just, like, you never know what's going to happen. Oh, no. I, I can't say I've like ever that... had uh, the fluffy the fluffy boot covers. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a weird dresser. Um, I've had like ravers, like pants like trousers um that were they were big baggy ones that had hoops around about five hoops around each leg that were made of <laughs> ultraviolet plastic Ooh. so these hoops would glow when you're at the club <laughs> they cost me a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> do you still have them no i sold them for like a quarter of the price <laughs> mm. Yes, unfortunate. They were from they were from the UK company, I believe. It was Cyberdog. Mm. Mm. This guy's outfit though is very much like it's it's like a proto Game of Thrones Jon Snow kind of outfit he's got going on here. Like it's really like that's what like yeah, that's the, that's the direction they were going with like a big kind of cape made out of animal pelts, basically. Mm. Yeah, or like an old school like Quest for Fire Neanderthal movie or something. Oh. I will also say, too, because he's gone for, like, a lot of warmth on the body. But, like, because I'm also a bald man. Like, I'm all about keeping the head warm. So, I know, like, he's... Although I do know, because my brother, he's been bald longer than me. So, maybe he has more experience with this. But, like, <laughs> even in the, the dead of winter, no matter how cold it is, he will not wear a hat. Like, he's just out there braving the elements. And it's like, well, keep your head warm. He's like, no. I'm, like, I'm just, like, it's as if it's, like, it's skull is bulletproof or something he just will not <laughs> acknowledge that the, like maybe you should protect that in some way but this guy's doing the same thing he's like oh yeah i'm all about keeping warm except up top and you lose most of your heat in the body <laughs> through the head so like yeah, apparently yeah you can save yourself a couple of animal pelts and uh, <laughs> fashion a, you know a, a nice little uh you know wig for yourself or something maybe. save a few <laughs> animal lives yeah yeah you never know that maybe because because it's New York, maybe he just robbed this from like a you know a, some sort of boutique or something like that. Like you know, this could be faux fur. We we don't know. We don't know how ethical he he is. It better be faux fur, damn it, or I'm coming for you. Let me throw one more at you. If instead of Hauk, your movie's version of Commissioner Gordon were in charge of the prison, oh. how would that go? Uh, oh Jesus! It, nothing would get done. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing would happen. Snake would have just laughed off this whole thing. <laughs> he wouldn't have taken him seriously. Nobody does. <laughs> you need to get like the Mayor Borg in to actually start ordering people. If Mayor Borg was Hulk, then Snake would have got this guy like yesterday. Like he would have been so <laughs> just annoyed with the constant barking about him. Like, oh, you need to go and get that. Oh, I have to go in there with a shotgun. It's like, all right, Jesus, I'll go get the president already. Christ Almighty. <laughs> I will say I didn't mention it in the the previous Hulk minutes, uh, but I do appreciate his uh, his the way he's sitting with the microphone is much the way I sit when I'm recording a podcast. So I was like, oh, I, I recognize that stance. <laughs> Sometimes I, I have different stances. Currently, I'm lounging in the kind of Ooh. hedonistic slouch. <laughs> Ooh. 
Wow, I just got a whole like Caligula vibe from you. From <laughs> well, <laughs> I did have a glass of wine as well, but that's gone. Uh, it's like, it's like John's just the luxury podcaster. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> got my feet up. You know, I need to relax. I need to chill. Mm, mm. I've got work in the morning. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I dig that. That's awesome. Have you guys also been like with every Lee Van Cleef moment? Have you been? Uh, have you been checking for the finger? Because I every time I see him, look, no one he's got a severed finger, and like because you see it in that one scene in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, they do a big close up of his hand, and you see like, don't know if you know John, but like yeah, Lee Van Cleef cut off one of his fingers while he was making a playhouse for his daughter. Oh crap! I is, knew he had the missing one, you know, from watching that, but I didn't know why. Yeah, it's like you've got to hold that against your daughter for the rest of her life too. <laughs> like every time she acts up, it's like I lost a goddamn finger making a freaking playhouse for you. Goddamn! Imagine that she's in like her forties at this point, and you're like, "You're going to play with that goddamn house." <laughs> I I lost a finger to that play every day. <laughs> but like every time he's on screen, I was like, "Oh, no, you see? Can you see the hand? Like, where is it?" Like, I just want to have a morbid fascination with it now. <laughs> But like, yeah, I think in this, like, when he's talking to him, he's got, he's got like the arm up, but the, the the hands clenched in a kind of fist. So it's like, oh god damn it! I think it might, might even be the wrong hand as well. But it's like, oh, it's so close. <laughs> I'm sure he became very adept at keeping that missing finger hidden when he was on screen. <laughs> That's why he has that earring. It's just to, to, to distract <laughs> people from the. <laughs> And still, you know, it still stands that, like, no matter how cool you are, if you were a man with a single earring, it just it's just doesn't look right to me. Like, Harrison Ford's still rocking it. Like, he's, like, he's doubling down. Like, no, I'm keeping this <laughs> earring going. It didn't look good in the 90s, Harrison. It doesn't look good now. And then Lee Van Cleef, like, how awesome is Lee Van Cleef? And then just like, just like no, just, just, why have you got this thing? It's like, you're just asking them, like, for, you're giving Snake Plissken ammo to make fun of you with that earring. But, hey, it probably doesn't surprise anyone who knows me, but I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I'm a fan of the earring. I think I was like the one guy who does pull it off is Johnny Rotten, though, technically. He, he, mm. But I think because he's oh, been yeah. doing it for that long, it's like, all right, I'll give it, give it to him. But Well, he's had that since the 70s, yeah. Mm. I think maybe it's, it was people who were dressing like bog standard normal, like Harrison Ford. But the Ford. earring, yeah, yeah. And then this is random, like extravagant earrings just stuck in there. You're like, what? <laughs> what the hell's that? Yeah. If, if all of you fits that, if you look weird anyway, you're like, oh yeah, okay, cool. You've got like mad dress sense, cool. Mm. But yeah, if you're just uh, in a suit and then you have yeah. this one little earring, like, uh... and it's just like, yeah, how cool is like black jumpsuit? And then yeah, I got an earring. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> It is a bit like um, I'm someone who wears crazy socks, but it's a bit like people who uh, you see like bank managers in their, their business suits, but they'll have weird socks on because I'm crazy, <laughs> really. I'm not a boring bank manager. It's like, yeah, you are. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, any other comments about uh, this minute? Um, um, I just had a note here that I throughout the whole movie, but this minute just brought it to mind. I like the whole look of this world because it genuinely looks run down and derelict and ruined uh, too many movies now that they don't get that right they look too sleek and polished still uh, whereas this looks kind of crappy which it's supposed to <laughs> you know, it does because it's it's a horrible world it's supposed to look horrible and dirty and nasty and mm. it really gets that vibe right uh, if they made this now it would look clean mm-hmm mm. 
Yeah, I agree. I I 100% agree with that. I like that it has a rough, dirty, garbagey, you know, yeah, just a really dark, dank vibe to it. And I think that's why it's also held up, too, is for that stylistic. Because I think that in 15, 20 years from now, the, you know, hyper Nordic clean line sci-fi is going to look super antiquated, you know? Oh, it will. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of was like, is this like a Fox movie or like a like a Warner Brothers movie? But like whoever like the like oh yeah you can use the back lot and then John Carpenter showing up like oh man you made it look like really derelict for us that's so nice it's like no nah, this is just what it looks like man it's like you know, <laughs> feel free to use it though <laughs> you want to clean clean it up it's like no no this is perfect <laughs> it just looks like a dump <laughs> <laughs> I will say uh, my only other note is like I do appreciate the. Um, I don't know if it's a kind of like a John Carpenter trope uh, or a thing he always puts in, but like, yeah, the the unsuspecting character with a, a, a being in the background coming into to view, because that's obviously a thing that utilizes quite a bit in Halloween, for one. Uh, you know, the, the, the ominous background threat of Michael Myers in several scenes. And then, remember a great scene in The, the Fog? which is a movie I've done like a complete reevaluation of in recent years. Like the first time I saw the fog, I was like, what the hell is this pirate ghost? This is stupid. Oh, what? Uh, you didn't love it. Oh, Oh, the first time I was just like, no, I don't get this at all. And then I liked the opening scene with the guy like, Oh, the 29th of April. Oh, the, 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 the guy telling the story. I thought that was great. The rest of the movie, I was like, Oh, whatever. And then I watched it like a couple of years back and I was like, this is a brilliant movie. What the hell is the matter with me? But <laughs> Uh, I do remember there's a great scene of, again, during one of the initial attacks, there's, like, someone on a, a boat, like, ranting into, like, the the intercom thing. And there's, like, yeah, the fog's coming in the background, and you see one of the figures slowly approaching him from behind. Uh, and I just wonder if that's a thing. Like, J- John Carpenter just loves doing that. <laughs> just, like, oh, yeah, just get, like, a this, you know character framed in the front, and then in the background, you put, like, a, a, an ominous figure approaching him. And it's, like, it's, <laughs> it works every time. Hell, yeah. All right, why don't you guys one last time uh, remind everyone where they can find you. Yes, if you're not sick of us yet, you can get us three days a week at the uh, the podcast Bat Minutes, where we, uh, as you probably have guessed, analyze the Batman movies one minute at a time. And we're on Facebook. Uh, we have the Bat Minute Listener's Cave on there. It's our secret little fun group where you can talk about the show or anything Batman-related to be honest, just talk about anything. Doesn't even have to be Batman. Just, just come and have fun with weirdos like me and Niall. <laughs> and uh, we're on Twitter at Bat Minute. Uh, look us up on iTunes. We're on there as well and Spotify. Bat Minute podcast. All right. Of course, big thank you to Niall and John for joining us this week on our podcast. And Woo-hoo! let's give an even supersized big thank you to our voiceless producer Brad Mendenhall, who works so hard and tirelessly behind the scenes for no pay uh, to make sure that our show is as awesome as it is. We salute you, Brad. Amen. Yes. We'll send you a Kinder Egg. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, nah, at the end, I have to be like, this memory, or this episode is in tribute to the memory of uh, <laughs> Brad <laughs> Press F to pay respects. <laughs> we, we will post uh, his obituary in our Facebook page, Green Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And flowers can be posted digitally on our Twitter page at <laughs> NYMPod. Uh, subscribe to us in Brad's memory. Give us a good rate and review because we're so sad about his passing. You, you need, we need to be cheered up. And until next time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.